From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. ABC senior foreign correspondent Ian Panel in the center of it all. Tonight, President Nicolas Maduro appearing before troops who stayed loyal to him, despite opposition appeals to switch sides, now turning his sights on America. He told them, be ready and willing to defend the home. The House has passed three bills aimed at helping suffering Venezuelans and pressuring Nicolas Maduro, Venezuela's president. Maduro is locked in a power struggle with Juan Guaido, the opposition leader backed by President Donald Trump. The two sides are in Norway this week for talks. Meanwhile, Trump is dismissing the idea that he's spoiling for a fight with Iran. Even so, he sent an aircraft carrier to the Persian Gulf earlier this month after discovering that Iran had armed its ships there with missiles. My guests today are Representative Debbie Mucarsel Powell, a freshman Democrat who represents Florida's southernmost tip in the House. She was the sponsor of one of the Venezuela bills, it aimed at boosting humanitarian aid to the country. She joins us by phone. And later, CQ foreign policy reporter Rachel Oswald will give us the state of play. Welcome, Congresswoman. Hi. I was wondering why the situation in Venezuela is particularly important to you and your constituents. Um, so I represent uh, the southernmost district in the United States. It's parts of Miami-Dade County and all of the Florida Keys. And we have tens of thousands of Venezuelans that have fled uh, Venezuela in the past decade, fleeing a very brutal regime un under Maduro. So it is not only important, though, to the Venezuelans. We have about half of the people that are living in my district have come from a different country, many of them from Central and South America. Uh, many Cubans here relate to what is happening right now in Venezuela and under Maduro. So everyone is paying attention. And for me as well, I know exactly what it's like to live in a country under uh, dictatorship. And I know what it's like to have um, no access to food, to have no access to medicine, um, to see violence in your country. So this is something that is one of the worst Hem, uh, humanitarian crisis that we've seen in the hemisphere. Can you speak to your own personal experience there a little bit about your own immigrant experience? Well, I came to the United States when I was 14. My mother brought my sisters and I really searching for opportunities uh, for herself and, and for us. She knew that we wouldn't be able to have the same opportunities if we stayed in Ecuador. Do you think that the Trump administration should allow Venezuelans who are fleeing the the crisis there, the humanitarian crisis, to come to the United States? Well, you know, it's interesting. I he, We've been hearing a lot from the Trump administration about Venezuelans, supporting Venezuelans, but we have been seeing a uh, huge increase on asylum requests from Venezuelans that are trying to flee that country, and those requests are not being processed. What we've seen is deportations of Venezuelans, and they're being deported to a country that right now about close to 80% of the hospitals don't have the medicines that they need to provide the patients. Most of the country goes in and out. They lose power on a weekly basis. Uh, kids don't have access to food. About 3 million Venezuelans have left that country. TPS, today we had, we had a, here in Miami, we had a press conference requesting the administration 
to provide TPS. Temporary protected status, which would allow them to, yes. uh, Venezuelans to come here. Exactly. Instead of deporting Venezuelans back to the, a country where that is uh, filled with violence and poverty and desperation, we should be able to provide that temporary legal status for the Venezuelans that are here right now. Now, the House passed three bills in March, including yours, to boost humanitarian aid. How will that help the situation? Um, Sean, from the very beginning, I, I had different meetings with Venezuelan officials, and I wanted to know exactly what it was that we could do right away to help. And the request that I heard over and over again is assistance, humanitarian assistance. So I quickly was able to pass the bill through committee and then on the House floor that was, was passed in a bipartisan fashion, asking for at least $150 million to provide humanitarian assistance to Venezuela, but also to the neighboring countries. Colombia right now is taking a huge influx of Venezuelan immigrants. And right now, whether we restore the democracy in that country today or whether whenever it is that it happens, we need to start investing in that country so that people can actually be able to survive. And one of the points that I always make is we can't support the Venezuelan people as they fight for their democracy if they have no food, if they have no medicine, if people are dying of hunger. So that's why that was such an important bill for me. And what do you hear about its Senate prospects? We have a bill that's in the Senate right now, an accompanying bill, which is a bipartisan bill. And we hope that Mitch McConnell brings it to the floor for a vote. The problem is not getting the bipartisan support for some of these bills, Sean. It's that the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, right now is not bringing anything to the to the floor of the Senate for a vote. Um, so we have to put some pressure on Mitch McConnell to do his job and, and allow senators to bring in the, those bills for, for a vote in the Senate. And that goes for the other two bills that the House passed as well, one of which aims to limit the involvement of Russia in this situation, and the other to stop sales from the United States of things like tear gas and rubber bullets, which the Venezuelan government, the Maduro government, has used on protesters, right? Yes. Um, Congresswoman Donna Chuela, who's also from South Florida, and Debbie Wasserman Schultz as well, they each introduced a separate bill. And obviously, you know, we can't be selling tear gas, rubber bullets to the Venezuelan government. So her legislation deals with that. And then Debbie Wasserman Schultz bill deals with limiting any Russian involvement in the country. Now, what's very concerning to me is that last week, President Trump had a conversation with uh, Vladimir Putin from Russia. And after the phone call, he mentions that Vladimir Putin said that he had no involvement in Venezuela, that there was nothing to do in Venezuela. So that shows you the complete disregard for the Venezuelan people by this administration to even make that mention, because what we should be doing is pressuring Russia to leave that country, to allow Venezuelans to be able to restore their democracy. Um, I know that Secretary Pompeo is going next week for a visit to to meet with possibly the Russian government and Vladimir Putin. And I think it's a great opportunity for us to put pressure not only for them to leave Venezuela, but also to put pressure on them as, as we get ready for the 2020 election. I, I, I'm just going to mention that because we still have no plan on how we're going to protect our elections from any foreign interference. Now, you've called President Maduro illegitimate. Do you th Should the United States be doing more to seek his removal? And if so, you know, what should we do? Well, one of the things that I don't think we've done enough of is 
really works in a strategic diplomatic fashion with other Latin American countries. We have the Lima Group. We have the Organization of American States. We have not done enough working with the United Nations to put pressure on Maduro. I just mentioned having a, convers a very strong conversation with the Russian government. Right now, the Russian government is funding the Maduro regime. They are there. They have sent um, a couple of air air bombers, air nuclear bombers. They sent them back in December. They have some military troops in the country as well. We have to exhaust every diplomatic effort that we have in order to put pressure on that regime. Maduro, we, we've already passed certain sanctions, individualized sanctions for the generals and for Maduro. If we work with China, if we work with Russia, if we work with even the Cuban government, To allow the Venezuelans to bring back their democracy, I think that we need to be doing that. Um, unfortunately, I, I, what I've seen is that there's a lot of words and not enough strategic action as it comes to this country and what we're dealing with in this hemisphere. Well, can you speak more specifically to that? Because it sounds like on its face, you and President Trump agree that we need a change in regime in Venezuela. We need a return to democracy. What aren't they doing specifically that they should be? Well, on one hand, you have the president saying those things. On the other hand, he is not supporting Colombian President Ivan Duque. He actually has criticized the president for not being strong enough against his war against drugs, which is not true. Um, we, we hear this president criminalizing anyone that comes from Central and South America. We see this president... Uh, supporting deportations of Venezuelans to a country where there's such poverty that people are losing weight on a daily basis and they're dying because they don't have food or access to medicine. So it's very hypocritical for this president to say that he cares about the Venezuelan people, that he wants to support democracy when he's not doing just the basic things like providing humanitarian assistance. Are your constituents, um, so, your Venezuelan immigrant constituents, Are they? How are they feeling? Are they frustrated? Are they able to to send money they are, to their to their they, family members? Um, they are desperate, uh, Sean. They they for them they want to be able to go back to that country, but they know that they can't because there is no country to go back to. Um, they know that there's a lot of violence, and they talk to family members, and but they do want a comprehensive strategic approach to put pressure on that government so that he leaves. Does you know, right point, now, Congresswoman, where, where we send in the, where we should consider sending in our own military? Well, I, I personally don't want to see the situation, the violence escalate. I don't think that we need to have military intervention. I do believe that Maduro and the generals surrounding him will be very, very weak if Russia, China, Cuba, Uh, Mexico, Mexico right now is not playing at all. They have decided to step aside and not be a part of the crisis. I think if we have a united effort with all the countries that are right now continuing to support the Maduro regime, if we put, send a message to Maduro, that, that regime will crumble. So I do think that there are other ways. We still have not exhausted all diplomatic efforts to, to tumble that regime. Well, Congresswoman, we appreciate you coming on our show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sean. You're listening to CQ on Congress. You can find this podcast at rollcall.com or your favorite podcast app. I'm going to turn to you now, Rachel. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sean. 
So, Rachel, Maduro recently had Guaido's number two arrested, a man named Edgar Zabrano. And Guaido continues to lead street protests in Venezuela. Trump has said there would be serious repercussions if Guaido were arrested. But Trump's national security advisor, John Bolton, recently seemed to deflect the question of whether the U.S. would take military action. It's a very delicate moment. Press again, the president wants to see a peaceful transfer of power from Maduro to Guaido. That possibility still exists if enough figures uh, depart from the regime and support the opposition. But Rachel, a lot of people think Bolton is the person who's pressing Trump to be more aggressive, not only with Venezuela, but with Iran, right? That's right. John Bolton is well known uh, for being a hardliner on on the Venezuela and on the Iran uh, issue, seen as being the most hardline in the administration. Um, he uh, advocates a strategy of keeping military force on the table, uh, believing that that increases U.S. leverage and options. It's not entirely clear if he wants to see U.S. military interventions in Venezuela or Iran, or he just thinks the threat of them will will uh, suffice. He apparently asked the Defense Department to draw plans for sending over 100,000 troops to the Middle East um, because of the situation with Iran. That's right. That's right. The New York Times had that report. Um, and then President Trump rebutted it. But then he said, I would actually send more troops uh, than the 120,000. Okay. So back to Venezuela. The House has spoken in passing these bills to further sanction Maduro, to pressure the Russians and to boost humanitarian aid. Where's Mitch McConnell on all this? Because it has to go through the Senate too. Right. So there are a couple of measures that are that I that have uh, broad bipartisan support. Um, I think uh, some of those House bills are those, including the one that would direct uh, the formation of a humanitarian assistance plan, and another one that would uh, require an assessment about whether Russia um, and Venezuela and Cuba are violating sanctions. And then there's another one that would codify um, a weapons ban uh, to Venezuela that dates back to 2006. Those are pretty non-controversial issues. Uh, I think the more controversial issue is a House bill from Representative David Cicilline, Democrat of Rhode Island. The House Foreign Affairs Committee advanced that bill to the floor in April. That bill would prohibit a U.S. military intervention in Venezuela, and it would also deny the use of any funds military intervention. That bill does not have any Republican support. Republicans have argued that even though they're not saying they want to go to war, that it's bad strategy to take a military option off the table. And I think that is where you see the the unusual bipartisan support for the administration's um, efforts to uh, um, have Maduro leave. That's when the bipartisan support begins to crack because Democrats do not want military force on the table. Republicans do, even if they're not actually saying we would go to war with with Maduro. In fact, I believe only one notable Republican at this point, Senator uh, Rick Scott, a newly elected senator from Florida, has actually called for a U.S. military intervention into Flor into Venezuela. I mean, this foreign policy is, is an area where Republicans in Congress have a rare area where Republicans in Congress have been willing to cross President Trump. They've uh, moved on uh, Saudi Arabia, for example, uh, on the war in Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen and the U.S. involvement, um, and they put pressure on Donald Trump to get out of that. Um, but in this area, when it comes to Venezuela, they seem like they're willing to defer to the Trump administration. 
Yes, I think I think that's definitely the sense. Uh, Republicans want to defer. Democrats want to offer support, but up to a point, and that point is military intervention. Okay, and there's also um, Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio has proposed to give Venezuelans temporary protected status. Now, this at a time when the Trump administration is trying to remove temporary protected status from other South Americans who've, who've gotten it in the past went from conflicts in their, their countries. Do, do you think that has any hope of moving, given the climate? I think there's a lot of support for that among Republicans in Congress for political reasons, because they see Venezuelan Americans uh, um, for the last two decades, um, beginning under Hugo Chavez and then accelerating under Maduro. We saw a lot of immigration of, uh, you know, middle class and above uh, Venezuelans who were leaving the country and settling in Florida and settling in other parts of the country, but principally Florida. And they are strongly anti-socialist, strongly anti-communist. And the Republicans think that this could be kind of their next generation base of, you know, Latino support, you know, and they would love to see this group of Venezuelans and Venezuelan Americans do for them what Cuban Americans have done. And Cuban Americans have played an outsides role in uh, Florida's uh, political economy. And so they would love to kind of harness that. But Democrats want to harness that, too. In fact, I think that's why you see Democrats really trying to to hold their own in this quest to see where will Venezuelan Americans give their party loyalty. Um, and that's kind of like the the under the radar political uh, campaign happening, because, as you know, Florida is the biggest swing state there is. Well, it's going to be really interesting to see if Mitch McConnell brings up any of these bills because he's been spending most of his time on nominations judicial and executive branch, and has been staying away from legislation. What do you think about um, where things stand with Iran? Because Republicans in Congress were very critical of the nuclear agreement that former President Barack Obama reached with Iran to end their nuclear weapons program. But Iran now says that Trump is moving away from that, that they're going to you know, start working on the things that were that were banned, like start working on the uranium and the, and the materials that one needs to, to build. It. And that's adding t- to this tension between the United States and Iran. So are Republicans rethinking at all their position on the Iran deal? Um, none of the ones I interviewed this week seem to be rethinking whether, whether their hardline strategy toward Iran under Obama and then continuing under Trump was actually now uh, fulfilling their goals. I would say that's not a surprise. Republicans have historically, and I would say lawmakers historically, um, have been very interventionist when it comes to Iran. When I mean interventionist, I mean using economic uh, punishment against Iran. I, I talked with an expert this week, and she said, with the exception of Israel, Congress has never been more interventionist. Than they've been it. ramping up the sanctions as doing, a way of right. uh, trying to get Iran not to proceed with the nuclear program in lieu of the approach of Obama, which was the agreement. That's correct. Yes. you. There was not a single Republican that voted in favor of the 2015 nuclear deal. Um, at this point, uh, Republicans are still offering their support for the Trump administration's approach to Iran. You did hear some Republicans, notably Lindsey Graham on Foreign Relations Committee, calling for a briefing. They're definitely in uh, Mitt Romney as well. Senator Mitt Romney, Republican of Utah, who leads the Foreign Relations Subcommittee on the Middle East. Uh, Todd Young, Republican of Indiana, another Republican on the Foreign Relations Committee, and uh, Senator Rand Paul. Um, You are seeing them at least trying to say, hey, give us a briefing. You've got to include us in the loop. Other Republicans I spoke to this week said that they had no problem. They were getting all the information they wanted. 
Republicans, uh, their caucus definitely appears to be divided as to not over like Iran policy, but over how much trust are they going to give the administration? Are they okay being kept in the dark? Um, events on the ground seem to be moving very, very rapidly. Uh, senators uh, uh, have told reporters they expect to have an all-hands classified briefing next week. And what of, what of those reports that Iran is arming sh- its ships in the Persian Gulf with missiles and right, has sabotaged oil tankers? There, there's um, there's a lot of confusion about about the threat. It seems that people are do have the same intelligence, but then they are putting a higher They're risk on it. it. They're interpreting it differently, and this is coming in the backdrop that the Trump administration is not trusted by our allies when it comes to Iran, and so we are seeing notable divides when it comes to Iran. Spain notably withdrew from a strike group uh, that was sailing to the region because they said um, that that it was a misdirection of the schedule and they had never agreed to be to go into the Strait of Hormuz. Thanks, Rachel, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Look for Rachel's reports on this going forward in CQ.com and at RollCall.com. That does it for us today. Please get in touch if you have any questions or comments about our podcast. We'd love to hear from you at CQPodcast at CQRollCall.com. And thank you all for joining us. And a special thank you to our producer, Tula Vlahu. You can subscribe to this and other CQ podcasts on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit rollcall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at rollcall.